Welcome back. Finally, Chinese New Year is over. Last night with the firing of crackers and the throwing of oranges and the picking up of oranges. Anybody went to Taman Jaya or not? Hallelujah. But now we are back to life, back to normal with all the schedules, with all the busyness, with all the traffic jam. Welcome back and so good to have you here with us today. Let me take you straight to the word of the Lord today. Our theme is on encounter. And our theme verse is John chapter 20, verse 20. The year 2020, we have one powerful verse, John 2020. You should have memorized and know this verse by heart now. What does it say? Then the disciples were glad. When, would, when were they glad? When they saw the Lord. An encounter that changed their lives forever. An encounter that brings something into their life that they have never experienced before. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. This was written by the Apostle John. And as you know, John was one of those inner circle of Jesus Christ. In fact, he's known as the beloved disciple. He knows Jesus Christ. He was closest to the Master. And from John, we have five books in the New Testament. The Gospel of John that was written to convert sinners. The three epistles, the three letters of John to confirm the saints. And the book of Revelation to coronate the Savior. And John wrote of his experience. He says, talking about that night when they were behind locked doors and Jesus appeared to them, John says, we saw him and we were glad. About 60 years later, after that experience, he was still talking about it. Close towards the end of the first century, he was still talking about that experience that he had. Let's read 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 4. Shall we stand together for the reading of God's word? Ready? Let's read together. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we look upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. May God bless this word to our hearts. Thank you. Please be seated. The introduction of this epistle is unlike other introductions of the epistles in the New Testament. John straight away 
dive into the subject matter, which is Jesus Christ. He's saying, I want to introduce you to this Jesus, the one that we have experienced, and you can experience him as well. And so this morning, I'd like to share on experiencing God. Experiencing God. Now, this is a very bold title because it raises the question, can we really experience God? What do you all say? Can we really experience God? Hallelujah. But in many people's minds, how can we experience God, a holy God, when we are full of sins? And it's God there to experience in the first place. John declares for us unequivocally, you can experience this God because I have experienced Him and I want you to experience Him as well. Everybody needs that experience with God. Every one of us need to have that encounter with God. When we talk about the experience, when we talk about encounter, what are we talking about? We are talking about that practical contact. That practical contact with an observation of sets or events. That practical contact with a person that leaves a lasting impression in our lives, that changes our lives. That's what we are talking about. It is not just knowing about, but it is really knowing the person, experiencing the life of the person in, in our lives. And it is very real. It is possible. Experience with God is possible because God is real. God is real. Look at what John says. That which we have heard. We have heard him with our very own ears. We have seen with our very own eyes. We have looked upon and we have touched him with our hands. This is the word of life manifested to us. What John is saying is, God is real. This Jesus that we are talking about is God, the word of life. He uses the word of life here. Just as in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the word, the Logos. The Hebrews, the Greeks, they know what the Logos is. The powerful, life-controlling word. And John says, I have experienced him. He's real. He's not a treatment of our imagination. What John is saying is that I've lived with him. I've heard him. I've seen him for not just a few moments in time, but for three years. I heard him preach. I heard him teach. And I 
and, and, the, and the Pharisees were surprised at the preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ because they say, never have we heard anybody who can preach and teach with such authority. Marvelous words of life that came from the lips of Jesus. We heard the word. I've seen him. There are two words that are used here. We have seen. The first scene is that with the naked eye, with the, with, with the physical eyes. Horror in Greek. With our own eyes. In other words, it's not a vision. A vision is something that you see with, with your mind. A vision. But it says it's not a vision, it's not an apparition, it's not a dream. We have seen with our very own eyes this Jesus. I have seen him, how he raised the dead, how he raised Lazarus. I have seen with my own eyes. The miracles that he did. Look upon, we look upon. Theomai, that means you study very intently. You do not even gaze upon any other things. You just look upon and study. Close, close scrutiny. We have look upon him. He's real. This Jesus, I'm telling you, he's real. He's not a fake. We have studied his life. We have never put our gaze off, off of him. I was there. I look into the empty tomb. I look intently, not gazing upon it only, but I look at the study that empty tomb. We touch him. We touch him. John, the one who leaned on the bosom of Jesus, I touch him. And on that night when we were behind locked doors, he showed us his hands. We handle him. Now, of course, it's not in the word of the Lord, but most likely, John would have touched that wounded hand of Jesus even. It's real. God is real. So very real for the Apostle John. And John had to emphasize this fact. Because he was writing to combat against a heresy in his days. A heresy called Gnosticism. It was very, very common at the end of the first century. It was spreading. And what does Gnosticism teach us? Gnosticism, you know, come from the word knowledge. They, they, they claim to have special revelation. And their special revelation is this. Gnosticism says... Anything that is matter is evil. Anything that is spiritual is good. And so when it comes to Jesus Christ, the Christian faith teaches that God is human being. And God and, and, and Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. They cannot accept that. God cannot be man. 
God cannot be fully man because anything that is matter is evil. So God cannot have a human body. It is evil. The human body is evil. God can be spirit. That is good. So they saw Jesus Christ and they were teaching that Jesus Christ was actually a spirit being. A spirit being who seems to have a human body. And sometimes the spirit and the human body is joined. And according to Gnosticism, it is joined only in two, two times in the life of Jesus, at the time of his baptism and at the time of his crucifixion. Now, this is very strange theory, all right? But that was what John was battling against. But John is saying, no, we handle him. It's not a ghost, it's not an apparition. It's not just a spirit. We handle him. We heard him. We saw him. We touch him. God is real. And that's the good news. And the only way that we can come to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why God revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the word, the logos of God who was historically validated, personally experienced, and authoritatively proclaimed by the apostles. There are some of those people who say, oh, history is not important. But our faith demands that the, histori the historical reality of Jesus Christ is real. Some say history is not important. Miracles of Jesus is not important. Resurrection is not important. What is important is the idea, the idea of Jesus Christ. But I tell you, Christianity is not just an idea. Other religions may be based on an idea. Buddhism is based upon the idea of Gautama Buddha. His enlightenment. Hinduism is based on the Vedas that was supposedly revealed to the first man. Even Islam is based on the so-called revelation that the angel Gabriel gave to Muhammad. But Christianity is not an idea. It's a person. Is a person that can be validated by history. It can be proven. Anybody can disprove it. It is for you to test it. There, the life of Jesus Christ, you have it. There, the miracles of Jesus. There, everything that he said is for us to test it. And all the testing have been validated by history and by the experiences of the apostles, and even of the present-day Christians. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God is real. He's not just an idea. He's not just a spirit. He came in the form of Jesus Christ. At one time, in the very liberal uni University of Chicago, 
Divinity School. They have what is called the Baptist Day. And during the Baptist Day, the students are all, you know, uh, 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 they, they come to the, to the grassy patch of the school, you know, and they just sit down on the grass and they bring their lunch, you know, and over their, their uh, uh, packed lunch, you know, uh, they will hear a lecture. The school will invite a very famous lecturer to just come and give a talk and after that open for questions, a very kind of uh, uh, easy flow. So one year they invited the famous Dr. Paul Tillich and he came and he gave a lecture, two and a half hour long of lecture to prove that the, his, the, the, uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen. There was no resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he went on for two and a half hours quoting scholars after scholars, books after books. And according to his theory, because the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen, therefore, Christianity is groundless, baseless. There's no base, there's no basis for Christianity at all because it is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the experience that people have with God through Jesus Christ. At the end of it, time for questions. Silence everywhere until... There was a hand that was raised up and a white-haired man, an elderly white-haired man stood up and he says, Dr. Paul Tillich, he opened his lunch bag, took out an apple, took a bite, crunch, munch. Dr. Paul Tillich, I have just one question took another bite on the apple, crunch, munch, 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 munch. My question, Dr. Paul Tillich, is very simple. Took another bite on the apple, crunch, crunch, munch, munch. Dr. Paul Tillich, I have not read all the books that you have mentioned. I do not know how to recite the Bible in original Greek. And I have not read the scholars that you mentioned, Niebuhr, Heidegger. But I have just one simple question to another bite on the apple, crunch, crunch, munch, munch, munch. My question is this. Dr. Paul Tillich, can you tell me this apple that I'm eating, is it bitter or is it sweet? Dr. Paul Tillich paused for a while. And in a, after that, in a very scholarly fashion, says, Sir, I cannot in any way answer your question because I have not tasted your apple. The white-haired man took one large bite on the apple and put it into the bag. And he says, Exactly, Dr. Paul Tillich. And you have not tasted my Jesus. You have not tasted my Jesus. John says, I have tasted him. He's real. He's very real. The Bible says in Psalms 34 verse 8, Oh, come and taste that the Lord, 
He is good. Hallelujah. We have tasted Him. God is real. We have heard Him. We have seen Him. We have tasted We have touched Him. John says, you see, the life is manifested. It's more than knowledge. It is the very life of Jesus Christ. True Christianity. If life is life experience, and it says about eternal life, this eternal life is not to be experienced when we go to heaven only. It's to be experienced right now. What is this eternal life? Later on, John will continue to talk about what this eternal life is. You read First John, the whole five chapters. In one simple reading, you can, you, 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 you can finish it in just about 15, 20 minutes. It's to be experienced right now. Yeah, admittedly, we do not see God. John later on he will tell us, no man has seen God. Yes, he saw Jesus. God manifested in the flesh. He says, no one can see God. But God is not any less real. First Peter, one, uh, one verse eight. Peter was with John in that room. The disciples were glad when they saw Jesus. Peter was there. But later on, he would write, First Peter one eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. You want to experience God. It's not from the head. It's not from the head. It's from the heart. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. You experience Him in your heart. It's not from the head. It is never from the head. It's always from the heart. And Peter repeated, Though you do not see Him now, Yet, you believe in Him by faith. An act of faith is not just trying to understand everything with your human mind and with your physical eyes. But our experience of God is as real. In the early days, in my, in my Bible school days, we used to sing that song, My God. Is real. Any oldies still remember the song or not? Come on, come on, let me see. I'm not the only one, huh? Come on. Yeah, there's one there. My God is real and I can feel Him in my soul. God is real. He's real to me. I've tasted Him. Oh, yeah. So very clearly, on the night of 27, January 1975, that was exactly 45 years and two weeks ago. It touched me. I walked into that church building. The service was almost over. Nobody said anything to me. The moment I stepped into that church, I felt the presence of God. 
And I don't even know what Christianity is all about. But I know, ha, this is the God I've been searching for. He flooded my soul with His love. Tears dripping down my eyes. I walked straight out to the, to the altar and I told the preacher, I want Jesus. He prayed with me. 45 years, two weeks. And I tell you, he's as real to me now as he was then. He was as real to John 60 over years later. And he says, I experience him. He's real. Don't, don't, don't tell me that he's not real. Don't tell me that Jesus is only in the spirit form. He's real. When I pray, I reach out to him. I know he's with me. He hears my prayer. When I read the scripture, he reveals the word of the Lord to me. He's real. When I worship him in the congregation, he's real. When I prepare messages, ask him, Lord, what shall I talk about? What shall I bring to your people? He speaks to my heart. He's real. And I've seen him work in many lives. He heals and he delivers drug addicts and alcoholics. He became a father to the orphans. He put back together broken marriages. He heals incurable diseases. Our God is real. And all of us have experienced Him in one way or another. Don't tell me that He's not real. Some will say, oh, the Bible. The Bible is just make-up stories. Some will say, oh, Christianity is for the weak-minded. It's a means for the weak-minded. You tell that to the man in John chapter 9. Jesus healed him. The religious people were not happy. Because he did it on the Sabbath. They questioned him. Who opened your eyes? He says, this man called Jesus. He touched me. He healed me. No, 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 it cannot be him. They called the parents. Who did that miracle on your son's life? The parents were smart. They said, you go and ask him yourself. Lord. Again, he was brought. He says, who did that to you? Oh, I told you already. This man called Jesus. The Pharisees says, he cannot be him. Because he's a sinner. And no man who sins can do these kind of miracles. And the man finally says, in John chapter 9 verse 25, I don't know whether he is a sinner or not. But this one thing I know, I once was blind, but now I see. I experienced him. He opened my eyes. 
and I saw him. And that's why John wrote, he says that you may know. The blind man says, one thing I know, I've experienced him. Don't tell me that he's a lunatic. You can tell me that he's false, he's a sinner, but I know. He touched me. And I'm whole. And that is enough. John constantly writes, I'm writing this so that you may know, so that you may experience him. You may experience him personally in your life. Now, our experience with God may vary. Our conversion experience, yours may not be as dramatic as mine. I walk in the church, I felt the presence of God, I was converted. No argument, no presentation, just like that. And I can remember exactly, 27th of January, it was about 9 or 9.30 at night. But some of our conversion experience may not be as dramatic. Just like C.S. Lewis, the British author, he struggled with the conversion. His brother Warren later on says, C.S. Lewis' conversion is not like a sudden plunge into life, but rather it is a slow, steady convalescence and awakening from a spiritual illness. An illness that has its origins in the, dark, in, in, in the dry house of religion propagated by a semi-political church and forced during his time in school days. He says, it wasn't just a sudden experience, but a slow, steady awakening. And one day he had an encounter with God. An experience with Jesus Christ where he suddenly realized Jesus is Savior. He came to die for me. His love, his goodness overwhelms me. And yours may be like that. Maybe not sudden, but you have experienced him in one way or another. Slowly, gradually, suddenly, whatever it is, that you may know Him. Our God is real. Somebody say, Amen. Our God is real. Come on, give Him a big hand. The premise of Christianity is that relationship with God, with a person, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. The testimony of the New Testament is that the new covenant believer in Jesus Christ now, today, can know the real presence of God personally. Ooh. The time is up and there's so much more to share. So much more. I just have to go like bullet train right now. God wants our fellowship. It's not just relationship, it's fellowship. He was, verse 2, he was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Verse 3, that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. 
It all started with that relationship. God is real. You relate to a person. But after that, it does not stop there. What does God want? What do we want? We want an experience. But God is more... God is interested in more than an experience. He wants fellowship. As I said before, there are three kinds of presence of God. Omnipresence, God is everywhere. Manifested presence, God manifests Himself. Certain times, certain people, certain place. Then there's the abiding personal presence of God. God is in the heart of the believer, always there. Never leaving us. Many times we pray for presence. God, I want your presence. Manifest your presence. Let me see your glory. Come down in power. Heal, sit, heal the sick. Do all kinds of miracles. Manifest the presence is what we want. And God can do that. He can give it. But you know what? God is interested in more than an experience. He wants fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship with the Father and with His Son. John constantly talks about fellowship. In verse 3 to verse 7, he uses the word fellowship four times. It's about fellowship. God is not just interested in you having a, a momentary experience with Him. You feel the goosebumps all over you. You fall down and then after that you walk away unchanged and you forget about Him already. He wants fellowship, unbroken, uninterrupted fellowship. That's why Jesus Christ came. That's why He brings us back to God. And even the Apostle uh, uh, Paul says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. What is fellowship? Fellowship we know is koinonia. Things that we have in common. We participate in life, fellowship. Talking about Koinonia, it's, it's, it's a series of messages by itself, but you know how important it is. We have fellowship with one another. Some people think that experience with God is just you and God. You experience God yourself, and that's it. You don't need anybody else. No! It's never in isolation. Our experience with God is always in the body of Christ, in the communion of the saints. Some people say, I don't need a church. I can experience God with YouTube alone. And oh, how glorious that experience. And they live in isolation. That's not Christianity. It is your fellowship. You know, we... You may have fellowship with us. John, who have had revelations of God, John, who have been so close with God, he still recognized our fellowship. Thank God for the fellowship of the saints. You who have been with us even so many years. And some of you would never want to miss this kind of fellowship at all. Rain or shine, you are here. For the fellowship of the saints. Some of the elderly people, even though your body is hurting, even though, even though you're feeling the pain in your leg, you still drag yourself to church. Thank God for that fellowship. 
that is so strong that binds us together and great sacrifice and pain perhaps even and faithfulness we have fellowship. It's always in the body of Christ. Our experience with God is not going up to the mountain as a hermit. No. It is here that we encourage one another, check each other. But then it is more than just that. Our fellowship is what? With the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Ha! It's not just horizontal. The reason why we can have that horizontal fellowship is based on that vertical fellowship that we have with God, the Father, and with His Son. Do you know the meaning of the Father and the Son fellowship? John says in verse 2, He was with the Father. The word was with the Father. The word with the Father means He was face to face with the Father. That's how close He is, the Son and the Father, face to face, all the time. That's why Jesus, when even when He was alive, He was able to say, the things that I say is not from me, it's from the Father. The things that I do is the Father that is working through me. Because He was in constant fellowship with the Father. The only time that that fellowship was broken was when Jesus Christ hung on the cross for our sin. And because of our sin, it separated Him from God. And that's why He, was, he cried out, Eli, Eli, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was the only time that the fellowship was broken. Other than that, it was face to face. We have Facebook, but it's never face-to-face. -face. It's always at a distance. Never personal. But that's the kind of fellowship that we have with God. Can you just imagine? That's what God wants for us. Right from the beginning of time, He was with Adam. In a cool order, evening, He had fellowship with Adam. So close. He had that face-to-face -face talk with Moses. He was a friend of Abraham. He asked Moses to build a tabernacle, tabernacle in the wilderness because he wanted to be with his people. And in the land, he, called, he asked Solomon to build the temple because he wanted to be with his people. God had always wanted to be with his people. And the crown of it all is when God came in the form of Jesus Christ. He dwelt among men. He was with us. But that's not the end. He continues on through the finished work of Calvary. God continues to just wants to have fellowship with His people. A remarkable verse in John chapter 14, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and what will we do? Visit for a while? Once a year, Chinese New Year, go back home, visit for a while? No. We will come to Him and make our home with Him. Remarkable. That's the desire of God. He wants to be with us. He wants to dwell in our heart, in our broken fellowship. Not just a once in a while experience. Oh, 
fellowship, the delight of that intimacy with God, companionship with Christ, the pleasure of just hanging out with Christ. When I read the Word of God, I'm in fellowship with Him. When I pray, when I worship, I'm in fellowship with Him. I may not feel Him with my physical senses, but He's at home with me. And I am at home in His presence. Hallelujah. I know that He's there. I may not feel Him, I may not see Him, but I know He's there. And that fellowship is not meant only for your 15 minutes or half an hour quiet time, time alone with God in the car, in your working place, in your business dealings. You can invite God and talk to God and fellowship with Him. That's the essence of it all. Fellowship with God. Don't neglect that fellowship. There are so many things they want to steal away that fellowship with God. But our, our experience with God is more than just a one-time experience. It's a daily experience in the, with God. A daily fellowship. And how is this brought about? In the beginning, John did not emphasize on that. He emphasized on the word because he was dealing with the Gnostics. But later on, he talk, in chapter 4, oh, he begins to talk about the spirit. How? We talk about the abiding presence. Here it is. By this, we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. The Spirit helps us in that fellowship. We cannot do it in the flesh. It's in the Spirit. That's why He has given us His Spirit. He abides in me when I pray in tongues. I sense the Holy Spirit praying. The closeness of God. And even when I do not feel anything, it does not matter. He has given us the Spirit. And I communicate with Him. I fellowship with Him in the Spirit. And likewise, all of us can experience that. Somebody say, Amen. And lastly, God wants to give us joy. Everybody say joy. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John 20, 20, the disciples were glad. Disciples were glad. You see, the result of it all is that overflowing joy. The presence of God always brings joy. You cannot say, I experience God, and you go around with a long papaya face. No. Once you experience God, that is the joy, unspeakable, full of glory. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is what? The fullness of joy at thy right hand and pleasures forevermore. Joy is not the absence of trouble. Christians, we do have a lot of problems. In fact, sometimes we have more problems than the non-Christians because we have an enemy, the devil, to fight against. But in the midst of all the pain and trouble and calamities, challenges, the joy of the Lord is with us. Joy is a result of that fellowship with God. The Bible is filled with admonition about joy and enjoying God. The shorter Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and also to enjoy Him forever. God is to be enjoyed. Hi! You are to enjoy God forever. That's why the 
Christianity is all about, the fullness of His joy. There are so many scriptures concerning enjoying our salvation, scriptures, you know, and uh, our service to the, to the Lord and all that. It is all filled with joy. You read the book of Acts, they were so contagious, the Christians there, because of the joy of the Lord. Let the joy of the Lord fill your heart. But let me come to the final thing. There are so many words in chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 4 of First John. What is the word that captures your heart? I've expounded on a few. But you want to know the main thrust of a passage. What is this passage talk, talking about? So many ideas there. So many things, but what is the main one? You want to know the main thrust of the passage? Look for the main verb. What's the main verb? You look at all of these. Which one is the main verb? Brothers and sisters, the main verb is proclaim. And that's what this passage is all about. We, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. You see, the experience of God is not just for yourself. John says, I've seen, I've touched, I've heard, and died. Finally, is to proclaim. I am proclaiming to you. That's the main trust. My experience with God is not just for myself. It's so that I proclaim to you so that you may experience Him as well. There's a joy of experience with God. But I tell you, there is a greater joy in sharing that experience with somebody else. Somebody say, Amen. Share that experience. Share that experience. There's wonderful joy in the God experience. But there's greater joy in sharing it. I have lots more to share, but I want to pray. Let us spend some time to just pray. Experiencing God. There are three realities there. Reality number one, God is real. Reality number two, He desires fellowship with you. And reality number three, that experience with God will bring us joy. Let us pray. Thank you for watching. Subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out on anything new and stay connected with us on our social media.